Metal 87 was all about making it in the mainstream. In 87, heavy metal ruled a new territory, the top of the pop charts. At one point this year, four bands were in Billboard's top ten. All the bands, Bon Jovi and Whitesnake and Motley Crue and Poison and Cinderella, all these bands are bringing the fun back to rock and roll again, and I think that's what's great. Well, bringing the fun back to rock and roll, man, that's what 1987 was all about. Ryan, welcome, man. What do you think? Mm-hmm, man, what a year this was, right? It's crazy, man. It's crazy. And, you know, I was right there in the thick of it. You know what I mean? Like, this was like my second year being into metal and everything. So when I went back and just thought about this stuff, it's just a lot of great memories, a lot of great fun. Yeah, man, after listening to your 87 show with Rob, you guys covered the majority of what I naturally go with. But, in fact, I left about 10 albums out that either would have made my list or high honorables. Um, and I only have three that made the list, respectively, that I, I just couldn't leave out this time. But it really opened up the door for some really good stuff. And the killer thing about this epic 87 is just the the diversity of the polished hard stuff that always stood out. And uh, now we can include it. And so, I mean, let's face it, we could do a a top 25 list of any given year from like 84 to 93 so this is great uh we got some predictable stuff and some harder stuff that you wouldn't think i'd, I'd come up with and uh some some no names so i'm looking forward to it yeah i'm glad that you brought it up that you know we've done this before you know a couple things that makes it different this time is a like you said you you weren't on there rob wild uh from midnight city was with me on that one it was geared completely hair metal, which you also just right. uh, kind of touched on. So, so I had to get rid of a lot of uh, heavier albums that I really liked. I, I just didn't put them in. And uh, one thing is more like selfishly on my end, I was kind of curious to see where it would all fit a couple years later. Would I really rank these all in the same spot? Did some albums like creep up and, and uh, overtake another album? And and actually, that has happened <laughs> with my list. I really do. <laughs> I do like some things better now. Uh, than I did then, so my list has changed a little bit, and you know, I just like I said, overall, you know, we're, we're in a new year. Uh, I hope people are enjoying it. It's going to be a new format, a little bit. You know, it's it's never really going to change completely, but I think this is going to be the most immersive uh, episode ever that really wants to put you into the year 1987. 1987 was the year that saw heavy metal bands get where they wanted to be, the top. I hope people dig it. I know I'm having fun with it, and I'm sure you're going to have fun talking about all this stuff, man. So why don't we just jump into it? What's your number 10? All right, perfect. Thank you. So number 10, I got Lion doing Dangerous Attraction. So, um, yeah, Lion had all the elements of the huge band. They had the big soundtrack song with the Transformers song. Really cool EP with some great stuff that got them signed. They were really big in Japan, that whole status. Um, I was kind of trying to break it down. I think the singer's voice, Cal Swan, is what may have deterred people a little bit. I mean, 
I know I've always been on the fence, and it's just until recently, like in the last year, that I really got into this band, and I really started listening to his voice and thought, man, he is talented, and I really like it. But I was trying to break down in my head what it is that's so just a little bit different than what uh, your typical 80s singer might sound like. And I kind of came to the conclusion that he's more of like a lounge singer crooner that had to like <laughs> pick it up for this genre. And, it, and he did a great job of it, though. But uh, I could be off. Who knows? But first two albums are killer, great EP. And, of course, Doug Aldrich. And uh, if you just want to crank Power Love, that's the single on this album. It's just like you can't get it out of your head. In the Name of Love and uh, Fatal Attraction. So... What a cool album, great album cover. They look good and they sound great. Nice. You know, it's weird. I had this cassette when I was a kid and I enjoyed it then, you know, and then I just lost track of these guys for many years. And then a couple different times, man, I've tried to go back and listen and it just doesn't connect with me. I, I don't know what it is. I'm going to give it another shot, you know, based on, on you bringing it up again. But uh, yeah, it's just one of those bands where, like, I, I dug it when I was younger, but then going back as an adult, it just. It didn't connect with me. But I think the main thing that Lion will always have is that is the Doug Eldridge connection. You know what I mean? With a lot of people, yeah. when he got into Hurricane, oh, it was the guy from Lion. You know, everybody knew him from Lion. And, and I think a lot of people went back and checked out Lion. But, yeah, I don't know why. I Just a couple times I've tried to connect with this, and I can't. I might give it one more time. But then if it doesn't go after that, it's just, it's, just, <laughs> it's done. It's dead to me. <laughs> Agreed. <laughs> Arnold Schwarzenegger is... The Running Man. He's playing for a prize. The prize is his life. How about the life? The Running Man. All right. This one, I don't remember where this one placed on my last list, but I know for a fact that it was on it. It's kind of low on the list, and I'll explain why, but... I'm going Motley Crue, man. Girls, girls, girls. You know, is this their greatest album? No. Is there some duds on here? Yes. But <laughs> the vibe is really cool of this album. I think, you know, it's always a contrast, right? So when you look at Theater of Pain, You've got, you know, that, that feminine image, and they, you know, they, they softened up with, like, a home sweet home and stuff like that. And then, I think with this one is, like, they got a little bit of that street, gritty, dirty kind of vibe back. They got rid of the that glam look and, and went back to, like, the jeans and leather and all that kind of stuff. So, I thought they looked cool. Um, and I think the album fit, you know, the look because it's it's really and it's weird because it's the same producer uh, as the the past albums that are before that one, but it's like it's just it's a little bit different. Like the guitar is a little bit more nastier and it's up in the front. So I think there's some cool elements to this album. You know, girls, girls, girls. If I never heard it again, the song, I'd probably be okay. I don't know. <laughs> but, but what I want to say, I was so hyped up about that when I was a kid because I remember distinctly that the the uh, single. You know, obviously, the song Girls, Girls, Girls came out before the album did. And I remember right. buying the 45, right? And I remember putting the 45 on a cassette. And then I remember going to, like, baseball practice. And I remember cranking that thing because I wanted all you know everybody on the team to hear the new Motley Crue song. So I don't know why yeah. it just comes to memory, but... It was a pretty hype thing, you know, and then when and then once the videos rolled out, and I think we're gonna as we get going to uh, with this one, we're gonna talk more about the videos in general. But 
you know, it was always cool to see what is Motley Crue going to look like this year, you know. And then by the time you got the Wild Side, which is probably the strongest track on this album, is now you got to see what the live show looks like. And it's always, yes. and I think the tie to this for me is, you know, and I don't want to keep harping on my book and episodes, A Hair Metal Journey, but I, you know, I have <laughs> to really talk about it a little bit because 1987 was like, this was like my second year, right, uh, of, uh, you know, of being into hair model. And hair model is getting bigger. I'm getting more into it. Girls, Girls, Girls was the first concert I saw with, you know, White Snake opening up and everything. So to me, like, you know, even if you want to dissect this album and say it's not their greatest, it's got some really cool vibes. It reminds me of a really cool time. But, dude, there's some cool stuff, man. I know you like all in the name of. Uh, I dig Dancing oh, yeah. on Glass. You know what I mean? It's kind of weird, but I dig it. I think that's what's interesting about this album. I think Nikki Six was so strung out. And he was like, let's put female singers on this. Let's do a weird ballad about my grandmother. You know what I mean? Like, it's just, it's all over the board. It's definitely somebody who's not really thinking straight. You know, the lyrics are all really, you know, gutter, sleaze, nasty, you know, dark L.A. type stuff. But, you know, it is what it is, man. Bad Boy Boogie and some of those. you got to be in the mood for them. But I think overall, it's just, I think it's that nostalgia and all that whole total package put together for me, you know, based on you know be, that being my favorite band. And the other thing I wanted to mention is that I was a first day buyer finally because like most of the hair model I got into in '86, a lot of it came out in '85 or '84, so I couldn't buy it yeah. when it came out. So I was a first day buyer for Girls, 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 and even like I said, I had the single before the album even came out. So a lot of cool stuff there. So it has to make my list. You know, is it Crew's greatest album? No, <laughs> but, but it, it holds a, a special place in my heart. So, well, that's awesome. Um, while you were kind of talking about it, I was thinking about their different looks, their different logos, mm-hmm. and their different sound. And when you think about between Mick and Vince, they always kept it consistent, but you could specifically dissect their sounds from each album well, let's just go with mick on this one yeah he had a, a very different guitar tone totally like, consciously different he's always going to be mick but there was a different tone and it's you know shout is like metal this was like a, a bigger bluesier harder sound um and it went right along with how vince's voice was a little bit more growly for yes. vince Yes. Versus like the squeaky banshee of the first two, so yep. it's pretty cool that they're like, you know, between the logos, the look, and the sound, they really did mix it up a lot. And I'll tell you right now that, out of respect for your first list, I left it off, and I wanted to just kind of talk about other stuff that was so damn good in '87. But obviously, like, had I been in Rob's place the first time. It would have obviously been on my list, yeah. but I left it off, you know, no knock on it, of course, but it's in the honorables along with a lot of other ones that uh, would have absolutely made the list, but it opens the door for a lot of good stuff. Definitely. All right, man. I want to hear what your number nine is. All right, cool. I got a band called Grim Reaper, and the 
album is called Rocky the Hell. So, um, <laughs> you remember these guys? Of course, man. This video got so much airplay on Head Headbangers Ball. Rock you to hell. Yes. Dude. And, and dude, and exactly. all, and all these like famous band guys in the jail cells and everything, like Loudness. Yeah. And all that. <laughs> so, all right, dude, man. killer. Don't let me steal your thunder. Yeah, but, Go ahead. The title track's killer, dude. Lust for freedom. And then this is a, a, a real positive <laughs> title. You'll wish you were never born. But it's all like really killer poppy polished hard metal stuff so it's a good metal matchup between steve grimmett the singer and nick bocott he used to um be featured in the at the end of i think it was circus or hit parader every month he had like a guitar feature in there so i remember seeing his picture all the time um i think unfortunately they didn't make it maybe because they didn't have the look in yeah, quotes. They didn't have the look. <laughs> and they they probably suffered for that but i also know that they had a lot of record label issues and this album was supposed to be called night of the vampire i believe and come out like at least a year year and a half prior to when it did so they kind of the record label they were kind of screwed this whole band um but this album is like a, a glimpse of steve grimmett's next move which was the band onslaught and then the lion's heart which i've talked about before and it's like much more uh white snake 87 melodic metal versus the the real hard shit so um but this is like almost there it's like melodic metal just just past their, their straight heavy metal of 85 so really cool catchy melodies over some really hard good guitar and quite entertaining music videos <laughs> yeah and i think steve uh, grimmett passed away uh a couple years ago right or a year ago or something yeah like i remember and i remember going back watching this video and i was thinking man what a what a talent you know what an excellent singer and the other crazy yeah. thing that I just have to... I never got huge into these guys, and, and probably based on what you touched on, it might have been the look, because you know this is a this is a superficial era for me. I'm 11 years old, yeah. Yeah, so, so yeah. you, know, you got to look cool for me to really uh, you know, get my attention. Uh, straight, crazy other random thought, though. In my cellar right now, I have a bunch of VHS uh, cassettes uh, of like music, you know, music VHS. And, and yeah. there's one, it's a promo video... It's completely black, right? And it just has a sticker on it that says Onslaught. And I, for the life of me, I'm not sure what the song was, but it was their first single and their video, and I had that for some reason. Like, on a, I got a, a, a promo or something. I don't know. Who knows? But it's in my cellar if anybody wants it. So, okay. Awesome, dude. I've never even heard Onslaught. I, I know Lionsheart really well, and I really like their, their albums, but... Onslaught, I actually have to look up. I'm sure it's going to be great. Yeah, it was a, it was heavier, yeah, from what I remember. But it's been a while. Yeah. It's been a while. Okay, <laughs> speaking of heavy stuff, number nine. Anthrax, Among the Living. This was not on my last nice. list. I could no, not put wasn't. a thrash album on there. And well, you gotta have you gotta have hair to be in a hair band, right, Ian? That's right. Scott that's Ian. right. <laughs> I think he had a little bit at this point, though. Um, a little so, tough. <laughs> so, you know, with this album, man, you know, this was my first 
thrash album that I ever bought. And I think it's like that gateway band that was easy for me because, you know, I'm listening to Motley Crue and I'm listening to Kiss and White Snake and all that stuff. And then I see Joey Belladonna and I hear Joey Belladonna. He's he seems kinda, you know, similar to, to what I'm into, but there's this heavy yeah. ass music behind it. You know, these giant gang vocals and everything and, and man they're swearing us in the F word every five seconds. You know, it was <laughs> way different than anything that I was used to. And it had such an impression on me. Even the look, you know, these guys didn't take themselves too seriously. They wore like long cut off shorts, you know, like the the, yeah. the the jams. I think we used to call them back in the day. And uh, they were just different, man. And they were fun, and you know, and eventually they did like "I'm the Man" and "Bring the Noise" and all that stuff. So they just they were innovators. They were really they were cool, and, I, and I, they blew me away. And lyrically too, it was you know, of course, we're talking about girls, 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 and all the stupid. You know, direction that was on that. These guys were singing about comic books like um, I, Dutch <laughs> Dread, I'm the Law. You know what I mean? So, yeah. just, just a, a good contrast and a nice exposure for me because I was always like a comic geek and and I liked you know skateboarding and all that crap like like they did and stuff. So so I really identified with them and you know I mean what can I say about this? This whole album is good. A lot of times when I was like mowing the lawn, I'd want a full album just to jam out to, and I, I put this yeah. on. And I could listen to every song. It was so good. But I mean, obviously, the big ones. The one first one that ever caught my eye with the video was Indians, uh, Among yep. the Living, I Am the Law, NFL, Skeletons in the Closet. I could just go on and on and on. Caught in a mosh. Don't let me forget that one. <laughs> caught in a mosh. I mean, the craziest <laughs> gang vocals you've ever heard. So yeah, man, I gotta show some love to Anthrax. I'm so glad I could put him on this list of 1987. Revisited. <laughs> You better back up, pal! Your move, creep. Robocop, the future of law enforcement. All right, number eight. Okay, this is probably the best Robert Mason album you've never heard, and the band is called Silent Witness, self-titled. Yep, I'm uh, telling you, dude. Never heard of this it. This is going to blow your mind when you check this out. I'm okay. telling you. Okay, so this album was recorded in 1987. It didn't see the light of day until 1997. Whoa. And I was on a little uh, stint of listening to this uh, interviewer. The, the, the YouTube channel is called Power Metal Point, and he had Robert Mason on. And I'd all, I, I had heard silent witness years ago and he asked him about it i was like damn this guy was digging deep so mason told the whole story it was recorded in the late 80s he couldn't remember when he goes like oh it was 87 and then, boom there it was i said that's enough for me straight <laughs> from the horse's straight from the horse's mouth um and he was i believe mason was in a band called cry of love i think and that album was coming out and they kind of had some momentum and all of a sudden, one of the band members decides to just put this album out, like without asking anyone. And it pissed everyone off and pissed off his current record label. And he had to beg for forgiveness and all that stuff. But it's very ahead of its time. It sounds really like 9091 to me. Hmm. But it's, it's honestly my favorite Robert Mason album that he's ever been on. And he's been in some really cool bands. So... You could tell the guitarist has some really crazy Eddie Van Halen influences, which works really well. Um, it's not streaming. It's probably super hard to find on CD these days. 
So if you search it, you got to do Silent Witness full album on YouTube, and it comes up, and it's kind of got like a outer space album cover. Mm-hmm. But dude, I'm telling you, it does not sound 87. It fully sounds like it was a early 90s hair metal album. It is so damn good, and Mason sounds so good on it, and he talks about it fully in this interview. So uh, 87, Silent Witness, check it out. My big question is, is that album posted on YouTube by Danny Wasted? Dude, that guy. <laughs> <laughs> Probably. <laughs> uh, what a good name. <laughs> yeah. Okay. Well, I'll have to check that out. I like Robert Mason. I've never heard of that, so that's I'll go on. I'll go on Danny Wastes' channel later and see if he's got it. So. I think you'll like it. <laughs> <laughs> All right, number eight. This was definitely on my list before. You're probably going to be very disappointed in me if I put it this low, but number eight, I got Voice Snake, the self-titled album, and you know, unbelievable. You know, it's just one of those ones where you know if they didn't cover so many other old songs and has actually had some new tunes on here. No, I'm just kidding. No, I mean <laughs> that's they, true. They grew, you know, and we've talked. You know, I don't want to talk about this one too much because I feel like we've talked about this thing to death. You know, you and me with others, I've, I've talked about this a million times. But right, you know, it, it's it's great. It's 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 basically White Snake coming into the hair metal phase. You know, most people, I think Rob, I, did, I went back and listened to the original 87 episode we did, and he says he only likes this album and it's Slip of the Tongue. I'm with him. I think you're kind of there as well for the most part. Yeah. And um, <laughs> it's great. You know, you know, I, I always go back to the, the live show. You know, this was my first concert, seeing White Snake open for a Motley Crew. you know, something I'll never forget. It was, it was a very cool experience. And this was you know, 80s Metal Snake, we can call him. You know what I mean? And I love how they did Crying in the Rain. It's way better for me than, than, than the earlier albums where they've done Oh, it. God, yeah. Here I go again. You know, it, it, they're all light years beyond, you know, you know, what they were doing before. And I think, you know, Coverdale obviously makes it. You know, he, he, he writes uh, the lyrics and, and he's, his vocals are on there. But I think... Most people will agree that John Sykes is that MVP that really never got the credit he deserved, you know, because he was never seen in any of the videos. Now, David, I can't help but notice that the musicians credited on the sleeve of the new album aren't actually the people that appear in the video. Can I therefore presume that the people that play on the album are no longer part of the White Snake setup? I'm afraid so. So, the musicians in the video, it's a real David Coverdale's all-star lineup. Would you like them to be the new White Snake? Well, according to the article that you and I did a couple of months ago in Los Angeles, things have changed somewhat. They're, these musicians are on call. Uh, if everything goes well, they will be presenting White Snake music in future. Right, but at this precise moment in time, which is about five to six, according to Mickey Mouse here, is it, is it fair to say that White Snake is a solo project? Uh, no, White Snake is a vehicle for hopefully good rock and roll songs. But that guitar work, man, is so good. The solos and the riffs, and they're so heavy. You know, it's just it's just a great album. You know, Children of the Night. That's another one I love. I mean, Bad Boys. You know, I could go on and on, but it's it's just great stuff. The singles were huge. They're kind of like today, where like some you got to be in the mood for them because they're they're so played out. Like here I go again. It's so played out. But I think Still of the Night, I don't really ever get sick of. That's pretty. That's a pretty mm-hmm. good jam. But uh, a great album. And, you know, of course, they had that look. They had a great look. And oh, yeah. I think that's what really helped them out. But it was funny, Rob, if you got, if whoever. Yeah, after you listen to this one, go back and listen to the old one. It is funny that Rob was saying how, oh, David Coverdale, he just seems so old to me. You know what I mean? But the, the music was so good, <laughs> I, I gave him the pass. 
And then I always think, and my wife and I, we've talked about this stuff too, especially like when you go back and you see like Kiss when they're in their 40s. Like I thought like they were so old there, but like now I'm older than they are there. <laughs> so it's like these are these are sad thoughts as you get older that, you know, that like you're like I'm, I'm probably got like like 10, 12 years on the age David Coverdale was, you know, when he was in, in 1987. But, but it's okay. It's all good. You know, we, we all we all get there. So, but yeah, I got to show some love to White Snake. I'd be a fool not to have this on my list. It's higher on my list, but I'll tell you right now that the the, the age reference thing is hilarious because we've talked about that with Vince Neil, yeah. we talked about it with David Coverdale, and dude, Coverdale nowadays he did the Joe Elliott thing and just said, "F it, I'm going gray yep. and I'm gonna let it show." And it's like, oh my God, Angus, Eddie, everyone, <laughs> like everybody went gray and everyone yeah. got older, and Joe Elliott and David Coverdale. It's like, fuck, I thought these guys were gonna be the man forever, but anyway. Beside the point, <laughs> bro. No, when you say that, when you say Angus, and, and when I think of like Angus and Jimmy Page, like they still want to oh, have kind of like the long hair and maybe do ponytails and stuff, and, and keep it white. And they just always remind me of a founding father, <laughs> like Washington or some shit. <laughs> oh, God. The place is Earth. The time is now. Masters of the universe. Dolph Lundgren is He-Man, Frank Langella is Skeletor, and Meg Foster is Evil Lynn. Masters of the Universe, coming to Earth. Okay, number seven, I'm going with MSG, Perfect Timing. So, let's see here. Macaulay, Shanker, and that, they had that, he had that, like, Macaulay had that almost, I have a cold, stuffy nose voice all the time, but it works really well for him. Like, think the intro to Give Me Your Love, and it sounds like, oh, does this guy have a little cold when he was recording? Nope, that's how he is all the time, but it's perfect. I don't know what it is, but I like it. Um, I love this era of this band. And this through their 91 masterpiece, I just, I wonder if Michael Schenker is the type of guy to ignore this era because it's like too poppy for him and he wants to be like Mr. 70s, early 80s guy. Mm. So I don't know. I think they've like regrouped here and there, but he's not a huge fan. I got a feeling and I've kind of read about of this genre of this band, but which sucks. It's like Crocus. They ignore all their cool mid 80s stuff. I think he probably ignores this stuff. But for me, this is like the perfect era for msg but like i said between this and 91 uh give me your love no time for for losers the cool uh that that yelp intro and then love is not a game it's just like what what a cool era for this band and they, they had a really cool look too and they had some pretty good opening slots and great music videos so i've been on a huge msg kick since uh for about a year now so wow. I'm, I'm really into this one <laughs> yeah i agree with you like this era of msg is the best and for some reason, I always like Save Yourself more than this one. But I remember I buying this one right when it came out. And I, I've got to go back and, and give this one some more attention. Because I do like those other two. I've always liked Save Yourself. And then when I found the, the 91, it was or 92. Is it just called MSG from 91 or 2? Uh, yeah, I looked it up recently. It's from 91. And it's 91. just called 
MSG. Yeah, I really like that one too. So I'm, I've got to, I've got to get back into this one. It's funny though, like the way, like your tastes change over the years. Like you know what I mean? Like I remember really digging this when I was a kid, but then it seems like a couple times I try to go back to it. And I'm like, eh, this is good, but I'd rather listen to Save Yourself. So I just love mm-hmm. that one. I, I don't know. I've got, I've got to give this one some more love though. Oh, dude, you can't go wrong. They even had that unplug thing in '92, mm-hmm. and it's also killer. You can't go wrong with this era for these guys. Number seven, this is was on my other list. I can't not have it on my list. Docking back for the attack. You know, I'm always going to look at like this is Docking's best album. What's funny yep. though, but you know, you know, uh, last year, late last year, I talked to Don and I talked to George, and when I brought this album up. They neither of them went like crazy over it. You know, I think like I think Don fessed up that it was their heaviest, but I don't think he fessed up that it was his favorite. And uh, George tended to think the the two before it they had more energy and more spunk, and they were getting kind of lazy at this point. So I don't know. I don't know what those two are smoking, but I think I think this is their their best album. Maybe there's too yeah. many. Maybe there's too many songs. Maybe that's the, maybe what they're trying to get at. Maybe it's a little bloated with songs, but. They all work. Like I like all of them. You know what I mean? I don't know. I mean, obviously, I think "Kiss of Death" is like one of their best songs. Uh, "Prisoners." I love so many tears. Uh, just so many great songs. And of course, my favorite is "Dream Warriors." You know, it's always going to be mm-hmm. my favorite Dawkins song. Hi, I'm Don Dawkins, and I'm Jeff Pilson, and we've got a new song. In fact, it's the title track to "Nightmare on Elm Street 3. It's called "Dream Warriors," and Freddie said if we came by, he'd play it for us. But as you can see, he's not around. So let's do a few commercials and see if we can find where he hid the video. Hi. And, you know, I think it's a great time now to really talk about a video for a second because, you know, videos were the big, you know, part of this. They were the selling point of these albums. And if you go back and you watch this video, man, you know, you might have thought it was cool back in the day. And sometimes you go and you watch something today and you're like, oh, this is so cheesy now. This video is still good. I watched it right before we started this tonight. And it's really good. I, I almost wonder if it was, like, filmed right around the time, like, on the same set as the movie. I mean, I think it was. Everything fits. And, like, the, all the movie scenes are very seamless with the intermixed with the actual video. And the video is so good. It's kind of weird, though. The only thing with the video is I don't understand why sometimes Dokken are zombies and then sometimes they're not. I wonder if they're <laughs> in the control of Freddy. So I have to go back and watch that and figure if there's supposed to be a plot there. And I don't really remember much about the movie. I don't think I've seen it since the 80s. But I think right. that probably is one of the best videos that, that came out of 87, for sure. Well, that actress was in their video. I mean, it had to have been on set. Yeah. You know, like, that That was I probably some pretty professional cinematography, and I bet you they didn't have to pay for that. Yeah, <laughs> so that's probably why it was so good. <laughs> yeah, like I said, you, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's so many of those 80s videos that they're they're for a movie, but there's really no sh- true tie. It's just they, they introduce right. they hit you with some random clips, and it's just, all, it's just like a hodgepodge. But like Dream Warriors, it just feels like a really consistent thing that flows really well and looks cool. And of course, man, George Lynch busted through that wall to do the solo. Man. Oh, yeah. That's epic. And then Freddy chokes him and 
pulls him back into the you know the the boiler room or whatever the hell he is. So yeah, it's freaking epic. So and it's it's, it is Don. You know, I mean, no offense to Don. You know, Don he can't compete today with 1987 Don, but like Don, like he's he's got it, man. He's got like the metal moves. He's very commanding in the video. He looks cool, man. Like I miss I miss that Don. (laughs) I miss 87 Don. But uh, hey, we all age. What are you gonna do? <laughs> All right, man. Well, another unplanned segue. Talking back for the attack number six for me. Nice. <laughs> it's perfect. Okay, I want to say one What'd thing. I miss? For... No, dude. One thing. So many tears. Yeah. I read or had an interview one time. Listened to an interview one time. Don absolutely hates that song. What the hell's wrong with this guy? <laughs> <laughs> he was like. Talking about this album and all its glory, and he goes, they, they said, like, you know, can you name a couple songs you wish you'd never recorded? He goes, so many tears, back for the attack, can't stand that song. <laughs> I'm like, what? oh, damn it, I like that one. <laughs> oh, my God. But anyway, but this one is actually the first of my uh, 1987 repeats that you guys had on there. So there's only three, but this is one of them, but I couldn't resist. So I'll tell you right now that this is... Between this and Tooth and, and Nail are the two docking albums that I can listen to all the way through, mm-hmm. let it play, never skip a song, that's that. With with Breaking the Chains and Under Lock and Key, I'm like, you know, I could skip a couple and be fine with it. But this one is so damn good, and it's 100% my favorite docking album. Um, the riff of Sleepless Nights, oh, dude. So It's good. like, so good. That is such a good riff. I love that thing. Burning Like a Flame, although just an absolutely god-awful video. Horrible. Maybe my Especially <laughs> maybe coming my after favorite. Dream Warriors. What the hell? <laughs> dude, I know. And also, take it from a fireman who like is like, dude, come on, you're a bunch of dudes. Like, you're, in, you're in the locker room putting on like a fire helmet like Bobby Brown in the Cherry Pie video. Like, that's what, that's what you should be doing if you're a beautiful blonde girl, not a hard-hitting <laughs> rock star. Come on, guys. Anyway. There's that video, terrible, killer song. And then Kiss of Death is probably my favorite docking opener of all time. Yep. Like, if you're going to open a concert with Kiss of Death, it's going to be a hard-hitting concert. So anyway, but again, what a shame that this album was it for them. And they were on such a good path and had such a huge tour with this thing. And then it all went to hell. But at least we have it. And uh, then we had um, Beast from the East, which they featured a lot of these songs. They didn't play Burning Like a Flame on Beast from the East, which I'm still pissed about. Mm-hmm. But what a killer album. So, hey, number six is that one. Nice. And one thing that now I feel like it's okay to reveal it, and I'm going to reveal it now. And I, and I, so I interviewed Don uh, last year, and I edited this out of the podcast. But I asked him about the song Back for the Attack. I said, why wasn't the song Back for the Attack on the album Back for the Attack? And he's like, it is on there. And I was like, it ain't on the version that I got. <laughs> so, so you nice. know, memories of Don on some of the stuff are pretty sketchy. I think Back for the Attack is on like a remastered version of Back for the Attack, but it is not on the original one. It is Back right. for the Attack is solely a B side uh, for Dream Warriors. So, so I did edit that out out of respect, but now I feel like we're past that, and we can throw we, we can throw that out there now. <laughs> Okay, this is this is a shocking moment. If for if you've heard the 1987 uh, original episode that we did versus versus now, so my number one 
is now my number six. So I think that's what I was Ooh. trying to get at, where like your your feelings change, or by intermixing some of these heavier albums, you know, my tastes sometimes gravitate toward that kind of stuff. Good evening, it's Saturday night, time to rock. I'm Ron Keel, your host for this two hours of heavy rock and roll that we like to call the Beatles Flame Battle Cast. So, Keel, that was my number one, uh, and now it is my number six. And wow. it's not that I love it any less, it's just that there's probably some that have kind of peaked and, and gone beyond uh, where the way I feel about this album. And then I think some of the heavier ones I really dig, and I got to put over this one. So, what can I say? I feel like I've talked about this one a million times. You know, the huge vocals, it's a filthy shame that these guys didn't get bigger. Uh, somebody's waiting. Cherry Lane. Uh, Calm Before the Storm, man, is a really great ballad. It's a really beautiful song. Like, I'm surprised that, well, I'm not surprised because they were on MCA Records and you only got one <laughs> single, but, like, that should have been the second single. That that, that could have been huge. It's a great song. And one of my favorites always would be, I said uh, the wrong thing to the right girl. I think that's a great, great tune. And there's a, you know, don't get me wrong, the whole album's good. There's just a lot of other songs that don't hit me as hard as those ones do, but, you know, Fourth of July. It's a it's a solid album I can listen to all the way through, and uh, it'll always be up there. But I think there's some some other ones. There's one album in particular. When we get there, I'll I'll, I'll just put it out there. That this one is pushed up high on my list. Um, that was a little, maybe a little bit lower on the last list. But some of these heavy ones, man, they come in with a vengeance, and, and we'll be yeah we'll be talking about them shortly. Well, dude, somebody's waiting like. I get why that was your number one, and in, in going back and, and reviewing your '87 original, I was like, "Good for you, dude." That Kill needs some love with this album, and yeah. that is such a huge album. And I'm so bummed it didn't take off for them because they went back to just like self-titled, cool-looking album cover, yep. very similar to the Right to Rock kind of like feel, yep. and it was just bigger and more produced. But um, I, I mean, I love this album, dude, and. The amount of voices they had when they recorded it was so cool. <laughs> I want all bands to do that. <laughs> yeah, they all should. Sylvester Stallone, over the top. All right. Yeah. Number five. No promises, no one to blame. I got Silent Rage doing Shattered Hearts. Nice. So, Original. Yeah. Dude, great album. Produced by uh, Paul Sabu. Um, they signed with RCA and Simmons on their next record. And um, they kind of lost a step. And that's no offense to Gene because he had a great eye for these bands, man. He had doing some Keel stuff, Black and Blue, House of Lords, this band. But this album is... It just kind of kills compared to their second effort, um, but it's just more raw. It's it's cool. It's it's raw. It's natural for them. They're a Sunset Strip band that hone their skills doing clubs. Um, I think it's just uh, it kind of captures them more than the second album. You got sound, songs like um, the title track, um, "Rebel with a Cause," Serena, and then a real funny song called "She Can Shake It," which is like. 
it's kind of like the easy street from TNT of this album. It's like got this funky keyboard thing going. It's like almost a like a twenties, thirties type little chime song, like Easy Dude, Street. But it, it, you better it, it send really... me. You better send me that yeah. song. All right. Okay. Yeah, check it out. Sure check it out. Me. She can shake it. It's really cool. Um, I'll send it to you. But the guy EJ Curse is like the guy featured on the album covers and. He's got that insane physique and that look, you know, he's just super ripped on an ounce of body fat, got the the long, thick hair. You know, he's like the guy on for this band. Um, he was featured on the album covers, and uh, I believe he actually ended up being the character Tarzan at Disneyland that you'd find walking around <laughs> in later, later in life. <laughs> but he definitely fit that look, let's just say, so um, there's just a little knowledge for you out there, but uh, really cool classic strip band and a good sound. So check out that album. So look, two things I got to throw out there. So first, let me ask you this, because I'm not very familiar with this album, but I'm familiar with, with the, the Gene Simmons produced one. Rebel, yes. Rebel with a Cause, does it sound much different on that album? Mm, a little more raw, just okay. because they, they didn't. Yeah, it does. It sounds a little different. They're like okay. everything lyrically is the same. It's it's the same song. It's just you could tell. It's probably like Motley liking the leather records too fast for love more than the electro records. Yeah. You know what I mean? Yeah, just a little different. So here, now here's the yeah. thought. I'm so glad you brought this up because you're talking about the bass player who's got the physique. Okay, so today <laughs> yeah. this is all happening today. So today I'm listening to my playlist and this comes on and I happen to look down and I look at the cover and I'm thinking. Who was the genius who decided a dude with no shirt on is a good idea for a metal <laughs> album cover? Because let's face it, all the guys that are the ones who buy the album. Like I'm like, I mean, I'm not saying you got to put on a naked girl. I'm just saying, but like, well, who says this is what people want to see? Maybe a female, but the female's not buying Silent Rage. I'm sorry, you know what I mean. So when I looked at it, I was like, this is the dumbest metal album cover ever. It really is. Well, I wonder who was in charge of that, and it's called Don't Touch Me There. So it's like, oh, gosh, like, unless you're going for either a certain market or females, right. yeah, probably wasn't the best idea. <laughs> right, or, like, I was thinking, like, okay, just, I, I know this is so stereotypical, but, like, what if he had, like, the girl's arm, like, scratching his chest with a red nail? You know, like, something. Like, why would you just have a, a guy with no shirt on it? Don't even show his head. Like, I don't, it's just so dumb. <laughs> it's the dumbest shit <laughs> I've ever seen. That's actually a really, really good idea, just having that, like, the claw hand on yes, there scratching his anything, chest. Like, That's just, a great idea. I don't know. Just, I don't know. <laughs> well, there's nothing we can do about it. That See, people blame it was Gene Simmons. It was, no, it was a bad album cover. So, <laughs> totally. All right. Number five. Okay. This is something I usually don't do. But it's a new year, and the rules are different, and I'm going to do what I want, and I'm putting on a live <laughs> album. And it's Wasp Live in the Raw. And I think nice, this dude. is one of the greatest 80s live albums that there ever was. And I just, before I forget, I want to just say, rest in peace, Steve Riley, because on this album, man, you are on the top of your game. 
the drum sound is so killer. It just drives this whole friggin' album, and it just makes you realize, like, oh yeah, this guy was a great replacement, you know, a great pick to to take over for uh, Tony Richards because he just he just kills it, man. He's just on fire, and of course, Blackie sounds great. I am the one and only Blackie Lawless, and this is Chris Holmes. Speak for them, Chris. Sometimes he has to stop. Now they wonder about monsters that I have. Especially in the new videos, this is one that walks around with me weird. on stage. It's probably doctored up a little bit. Although Johnny Rod said that it wasn't, but um, I, I question how much Johnny Rod remembers about these days. Mm -hmm. Yeah, <laughs> but it's just so good, man. I mean, and I think that the coolest thing too is when you you start off with that epic. Uh, electric circus and then go into I don't need no doctor just like they do on the studio album it's just so good but it's just got so much more balls you know what I mean than uh than the the studio album and I mean obviously everything's great on here love machine all the raps on here are hilarious you know what I mean he's he's talking some really goofy stuff funny stuff on here uh, he's talking about the the Washington wives uh, talking about the PMRC and all this kind of stuff. Oh, right. It's so great, you know. But I think the, one of the high points, too, of this album is the uh, Scream Until You Like It. You know what I mean? Because that's kind yeah, of like a bonus track or a studio track that's on at the end. And uh, you educated me that this was really, uh, it was kind of like revamped from Paul Sabu, right? Yep, that's right. And, and then that is has a Silent Rage uh, tie. So I think it's all good that these all go together. But I think, you know... This another one, and, and I hate to keep harping on the book, but like I every I swear every single one of these I go into depth in in the book. And one thing that I always remember about this album is I would listen to it on my Walkman in the backseat of my parents' car, and I would just do the air drums. I would do every fill spot on, and you know I was I, that's how I got my arm exercises when I was a kid. That was the only exercise I ever had as a kid. But uh, I just I, I love this album, and it will always you know, have a cool place in my heart. And, uh, yeah, Wasp, Live in the Raw. Excellent. Oh, uh, dude, yeah, preach that book, man. That's that's a, that's that's your baby. Yep. I preach it all you want. Yep. Um, yep. But I'll tell you what, after we talked about Screaming Until You Like It, I went back and I listened to this album a bunch. Yeah. And I was loving this live album. So it's killer that you put it on here. That's been, like, something I've been cranking a lot more lately. And I, I really didn't. I didn't realize how much I liked that nine five nasty. That's oh such yeah, a song, dude. That, dude. I love that one. I don't yeah. know what it is about that, but it's cool. Between that and until you like it, I'm like, dude, this is a good freaking live album. It's really like you know, and I should have mentioned this earlier. It's really like Wasp's greatest hits live. You know what I mean? Like it's totally. in Texas, Wild Child. You know, there. It's all there. Uh, I want to be somebody. It's all there. And they even do a couple new tracks that are like. Um, just kind of test it out for the first time live, like Harder, Faster, and Manimal, and they're not bad either. So it's, uh, yeah. it's a super cool album. Great great era for Wasp, in my opinion. I don't think Blackie always totally. agrees, but, but I don't care. I like it. Sega challenges you with the ultimate video game, the Sega Master System, with twice as much memory as any other video game. Advanced video technology like scrolling backgrounds, graphics in 64 colors, digital sounds, and light phasers. And you can add to the excitement with sports pads, control sticks, and the first video games ever in 3D. Sega's the one. The Sega Master System. The challenge. Number four. Okay, I'm wondering if this is going to appear on yours. This passion that rules the 
but I got Pretty Maids in Future World, and this is one of those albums where you can just press play. It just goes on. It's perfect, insanely good album. Their whole run from 85 to 92 is just outstanding. So, um, singer's range, Ronnie Atkins, he's got that range that can go from low to that high growl. It's just so good. It's a great example of what I'm talking about is in this, the song Love Games, which I'm probably like in a minority because this is more of a hard album, but that's probably my favorite song on the album. It's just, it's like a really cool futuristic album cover that, that's like 80s futuristic, which is kind of hilarious all the time, um, which I believe is like a little different from the US album release. I think it's just like a, a circle with some, since Future World might even have a, a dude with a shaved head on there. Since Future World like tattooed on his head. <laughs> but um, it's just really quality hard rock. Um, kept, and it just kept getting bigger and better throughout the years. So, uh, 87's Future World is is up there for me. Nice. Yeah, I mean, I love Pretty Maids. Uh, for some reason, Pretty Maids never hit my radar in 87. And I, it's like when I got into that, I was like Jump the Gun was like my starting point. And I've got to yeah. keep going back to this one and keep trying to hit myself with it and get into it because everybody raves about it. Everybody loves it. I love Jump the Gun so much, but I've, I've got to I've gotta go back. So you're, you're inspired yeah. to go back. Dude, like, there, there's a little taste, you know? Like, um, it's kind of like um, Grim Reaper going into Lionheart. This is the same thing. It's There's elements of Jump the Gun on Future World that you you could sense what's what's coming, and it's just a little bit more polished, bigger 80s sound and a little bit less, like, high growl and metal and just, like, some killer melodic stuff. So, yeah, you're on the right track there. I am ashamed that I, that in some respects, that I had this where I have it at four, because I'm so into this band. But I think what plagues this band sometimes is that they can't always make a cohesive, complete album. It's just, it, they're, they're, they got all the ingredients, like with their talent and everything. We got Man of War here. We got Joey Ross, the boss, both here with us. They look like uh, Masters of the Universe there. And what is it about wimps that we like so little, just exactly? Well, they're fake. You know, they have fake equipment on stage. They have a fake lifestyle. You know, they, they shove fruit and things down their pants. Everything about them is fake. I mean, they live a fake world, and Man of War is the real thing. Thing in every respect and we just want to deliver true metal to the true metal people right ross that's right that's right and we know you're out there and we're coming through on our way that's right fellas kill kill wimp rock we can't How stand wimp rock i mean we got the muscle to just let people know what we want to do <laughs> we're ready to go man of war on the way solid man So, Fighting the World, it, it, you know, it was the first Manowar album I ever bought. It was my first exposure to the band. The epic album cover by Ken Kelly that is like a cross between Kiss Destroyer and He-Man and the Masters of the Universe. You know, all, all things that were special to me at that point. But, um... With this one, you know, it's it's great because I feel like with the sound quality, this Manowar claims, I don't know if this is 100% true, but they claim that this is the first metal album ever recorded in digital. 
And it's, you know, it's light years beyond what they did before because Manowar was kind of always on like shittier labels and they didn't have the greatest production. So now their talent and everything is all infused with this great production. So there's, those are the positives, you know. And of course, this thing kicks you right in the face right from the get go. Fighting the world, carry on, blow your speakers, violence and bloodshed. Yep. I mean, violence and bloodshed. Let me just talk about this for a minute because this is like a <laughs> song that is essentially like the plot of Rambo 2. You know what I mean? Like, we're going back to Nam because nobody else is willing to do it. You know what I mean? And we're going to set shit straight over there. You know? That was the Man of War. Like, that's the Man of War I miss. Just these goofy, crazy things that they would sing about. Like, they always now, it's everything's warrior. But, like, they, back in the 80s and stuff, they would have their rock songs about, like, how, how they were going to blow up speakers and how Man of War is just, you know, made of iron, not clay, or steel, not clay. <laughs> And then they talk about like putting an ad in the back of Kerrang to find people to go on this crusade to go back to Nam. I mean, it's just it's just crazy shit. So you gotta love that. Um, the problem is with this album for me, why I couldn't rank it higher, is that when it, this tends to happen on Manowar albums, you start to get like they don't really have any real songs, so they'll put like in something like Drums of Doom, or you know they'll put in a bass solo or something like they just they never can keep a cohesive thing going, and it always kind of like will fall apart at a certain point, and then it, then it kind of comes back with like a epic closer, which this one has is Black Wind Fire and Steel. Right. So you know I think with this one. We got to give a shout out to every member of this band. So rest in peace, Scott Columbus. Your drums on this are just epic, and they are the drums of doom. And they, that that opening, just simple drum of fighting the world, it's like busting up your ribs as it's going. Eric Adams, best metal singer probably ever. You know what I mean? Like he can do the most raspy, insane things. Then he can do the most soft and quiet things, and then he can scream higher than anybody else. So just a distinct voice. Nobody else sounds like him. Joey DeMaio, best bass player in metal, in my opinion. I mean, he just shreds. He plays his bass like a guitar. I appreciate that. I'm a bass player. I, I kind of do that same kind of stuff sometimes. I just can't play as fast as he can. But, but <laughs> like, he was always a huge inspiration to me as a bass player. And Ross the Boss, man, he might not have been the fastest or the flashiest, but... Everything he did made sense, and it had balls, and he had good riffs. And you know, when he was out of the band, that was something that was missing from Manowar. So, I don't think I need to say anything more about Manowar. I think I've summed it up perfectly. I'm gonna pass it on to you for number three. <laughs> or you can say whatever you want about Manowar. I know you like Manowar too. So, yeah, dude, this was my first album by them, and so this this kind of holds a place in my heart. And Blow Up Your Speakers was my first song that I got into yep. by them, and I, and I kind of started my Manowar fix. So I totally condone this, and great placement, and um, it inspired me to crank it even more, probably. <laughs> nice, nice, nice. Okay, so now let's hear your number three. Okay, this is where I got White Snake 1987. Nice. So it's like, to me, it's like, why can't every album be White Snake 1987? Right. <laughs> like, it's basically a greatest hits in one disc. It's got everything. It's got, I don't know, just since mastering it all these years, I've gravitated towards two songs, Children of the Night and Don't Turn Away. Yep. I don't know why, but it's like this perfect little mix of Coverdale being like hard metal guy and then the mid-tempo guy. Yep. It, those two songs are so cool. Obviously, Still of the Night, uh, Bad Boys, the rest, you, you know, they're, they're all there. They're all killer. But... um. One thing I'll say is I know the album cover kind of bugs people and think they think it's a little, like 
too simplistic and it, it may be but i think it was coverdale trying to do that classy metal thing you know what i mean yeah like he's got that proper english accent like no cockney involved at all he's very proper englishman and i think he was going for that it's just a little bit of that you know wealthy classic hair hair metal that mm -hmm. he pretty much created for this genre this era this band so I like it. I think it's pretty cool. Um, the font is really cool. And um, you kind of talked about it, but the Motley Whitesnake Tour of 87, like, dude, what a great package that was. You saw it firsthand. And I wonder, I mean, I know Motley was riding real high and they couldn't have their confidence any higher at that point, pretty much. And a lot of it was chemically induced, I understand, at that yeah, point. Yeah, that's, also... that's how they were high. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's that. But I wonder if they were kind of tripping because, gosh damn, that's a tough act to follow. Like, those were some musicians out there playing very well. And Vince was way better then, but not great. And Coverdale was always spot on. Yep. So I wondered about that. But they both put on great shows, and Motley was riding real high at that point, so they probably didn't really care. But anyway, what a cool tour, cool package, great album, never get sick of it. And yes, with sprinkling a, a few songs from uh, their 84 release, but yes, I'm mostly 87, 89 um, Whitesnake guy. <laughs> you know, the the thing that's interesting in uh, this kind of, I thought about this while you were talking, was, was this happens to certain bands when they become really big, you know, during an album's run, and... When you look, this kind of happened like with Poison when, with uh, Open Up and Say Ah, they got big and were able to be a headliner. But that's what happened with White Snake. You know, they started as an opener for Motley Crue, and then eventually, as that year uh, actually got into '88, they were a headliner with Great White opening up, opening up for them. So right. it's just pretty interesting. But then, if you really think about it, it's, it's kind of crazy to think that White Snake would be an opener because they were such an established band. You know what I mean? Like they had, they had way more albums and in, in years of, of being together than Motley Crue ever did. They just didn't have the popularity. But that all changed in 1987. You know, they totally. Yeah, I mean, through the vote. through the years, you kind of read, read about that, like uh, when Def Leppard was opening for Billy Squire, and then Pyromania just went wild, and yeah. it was like, hmm, who should be opening for who at this point? Same thing with Bon Jovi when he, you know, they started. Even though these albums weren't released in 87, they were still making huge waves. So like when you think of Slippery When Wet that came out in 86. The final countdown, uh, look what the cat dragged in. These albums really had a big part of their runs in 1987. You know, we can't put them on say a list to say because they didn't they weren't released that year, but really nothing really does it more than Poison. If you look at the Poison singles, the first single, Cry Tough, was released in 86. All the other singles were released in 87. So when you watch mm -hmm. an MTV clip and they talk about the year of 1987, and you weren't alive then, and you hear about like Poison be, oh, I thought Poison was 86. No, they really, there was nothing going on in 86 for Poison. Everything happened in 87, and what's even crazier is just to think then by, boom, 88, they've got a, um, another album out. And they really had, they didn't have a break, really. You know what I mean? It was like they ran that run right through, and then they were right there. And the coolest thing, man, I think we got to touch on, uh, since we brought up Poison in 1987, is really the videos. You know what I mean? 
the videos oh, yeah. for that album, you know, made that band. I mean, you got to see like the fun side of them, their look, yeah. you know, all that kind of stuff. Especially with the first, you know, this, actually you know, they, that wasn't the first video, but you look at "Talk Dirty to Me" and "I Want Action." It's just a lot of fun, like a party video. And then, of course, when they end off with their kind of home sweet home wannabe video, <laughs> "I Won't Forget You," you know what I mean? Uh, showing all oh, those yeah. like clips of the live, the the road show, and and throwing stuff in the pool and everything. So just you know what a great time for that band and it's just it's really funny because like, like you said you think of that album was 86 but it really had its run in 87 totally so number three this is one i should have did my homework on my own episode but this was lower and this one was not number one like keel got knocked down some notches but this one is has risen up to number three Tell no tales, man. I'm, nice. I think this is one of those growers that, like, you listen to it year after year after year. You just get more and more into it. And I think they're they're spot on here. You know what I mean? I always thought, like, intuition, there was something special maybe going on there that was a little different. But I think this album has that same stuff going on. You know, it's just the, the, the happy big choruses, the exquisite, you know, just crazy positive sounding guitar work of, of Ronnie Latikro. It's just, it's all working, man. You know, listen to your heart as far as the eye can see. And then I think what I never noticed back when I was a kid was the ballads. I just never, I never, they never did anything for me. They didn't release them. They weren't big singles. But when I go back and listen to them, especially Northern Lights, man, go back and listen to Northern Lights because it's like, it's just, I don't know. It's just a really good song. It's like almost like ahead of its time, like maybe doesn't even fit in this era it's just a really like powerful song i, I don't know I, I listened to it uh this week and i was just I'm blown away by it but uh and the other cool little thing on this album ronnie does all these little tiny instrumentals and stuff you know that just kind of seep in a couple times throughout the album and they're really yeah. good they're, they're wicked cool sometimes i wish they would go on we're like sometimes you want those instrumentals to end but these ones really work and, and they and they show off his talent but you know and okay oh i forgot 10,000 Lovers, of course. But of course. The title track at the end. It's like the hardest song oh, on the dude. album. It's so good. I just, I love this album. I think I'm always discovering new things about it. So it's uh, it's just a great album. And, you know, if we do this in a couple years, it, it might be my number one. So <laughs> we do it again. Totally, dude. Uh, well, again, this was one that you had on your first list, and I left it off just because of that. But, dude, it absolutely would have made my list. Everyone's a star, 10,000 lovers, um, listen to your heart. The intro to Desperate Nights, it just kind of comes in. It almost sounds like it comes in like mid-riff. You know what I mean? Yeah. You, you ever picked up on that? It's such yeah. an odd intro. but It, it is like, weird. It, but it's it works, but it's, it's like it shows off the talent, I guess, where you, <laughs> they got to do that. And then, yeah, Tell No Tales. It's kind of like Tooth and Nail. It just... Yeah. You're like, whoa, Powerhouse. dude, like, what a killer song this is. And it rips, and it goes forever. And then then they could turn around and do a riff like 10,000 Lovers. It's like the most commercial, catchy thing ever. Yep. So, yeah, dude, this is a great album. I I would absolutely have it up there on my list had it been the, uh, the first run of it. Take a look at the new G.I. Joe Tomahawk. Look, Cobra's attacking the off-striker. Tomahawk! 
Tomahawk holds eight Joes and it's loaded for battle. Get old Joe! Tomahawk's gonna chase some Cobra. Tomahawk is on the go. Tomahawk's gonna chase some Cobra and rescue G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe! Live the adventure of G.I. Joe. G.I. Joe Tomahawk. Other Joe and Cobra figures sold separately. Yo, Joe! Number two. Number two. Y.T. Contagious. How to do? Welcome back to Headbangers Ball. My name is Kevin Seal, and I have Jimmy DeGrasso of Y&T sitting here. How Welcome. you doing? Welcome, all right. Joe. How nice. you doing? I'm doing all right. Oh, good, good, good. You got your <clears throat> uh, new album out, Contagious. Yep. Right. Just yeah. how long has it been in the stores? Oh, about three months now. It's been hanging out there. Been, been hanging. Yeah, That's, it's been hanging been out there. Cool. So it's been hanging. It's kind of yeah. cool. So good. It's, it's doing okay. You're like the new member of the band, though. Like everyone else was. Yeah, the new the, member. The new. Yeah. Yeah, the new member. <laughs> the new member of the yeah, band. Yeah, that's it. Here's a new one from Y&T, Contagious. Even you like this album. Even I like this album. <laughs> I don't even like Y&T and I like this album. Great song. I know. Great song, great album. So, yeah, here we go. I got, you know, you got three-fourths of the original lineup. Um, they moved over to Geffen to try a, kind of a new recipe and kind of prettied the boys up on this one, which worked. You know, they looked all right. And then uh, Jimmy DeGrasso was the new drummer, and he helped. He's a, he was a sharp-looking dude at that point. Um, very, very slick, big, catchy stuff on this album. Very produced. Um, L.A. Rocks. Dude, what a song that is. Um, Eyes of a Stranger is the closer, and it is. it should have been a single. I don't know why it wasn't. And then one of my favorites is Rhythm or Not. Um, yep. We just have this really cool combo of like this slick and classic Y&T on this album. And I think it may, like this album and Down for the Count, kind of probably lost a few of the classic Y&T fans. But over the years, I think it's picked up a lot of momentum and some respect. And uh, when I see Y&T, they play a few songs off of this album. They play Contagious and Eyes of a Stranger, and they go over really, really well, and he performs them spot on, and I can press play and just let this album run the whole way. So that's why it is above Whitesnake and uh, number two on my list. Wow. That's the placement of that kind of surprises me, but uh, I like that one. That's the only one I ever really got into, so I, I support <laughs> it. I support it. to challenge you for a world championship match in the WrestleMania. Andre, please, no, it's not happening, man. We're friends. We're friends, Andre, please. You can't believe it? Maybe you'll believe this, Hogan. Andre, what are you doing, man? You can't leave like this, man. What are you doing, Andre? Okay, my number two is, is one that did not exist on the other list and i'm almost surprised that it's not number one and i think I, as we get to number one i, I can explain
but uh, Sabotage, all of the Bobbin King, man. It's nice. It's, it's my it's my band. It's my jam. I feel like this is the time where, at least for me, and, and I know there's a lot of people that agree with me. It's like Sabotage becomes Sabotage. You know, like they had a real oh, yeah. misfire with Fight for the Rock. Some of the early stuff is is cool, but I don't. It's not a hundred percent developed. I don't know if the songs are really there. This is where it all comes together. You know, the creativity is on high. Paul O'Neill is kind of like that uh, fifth member that is helping them with the songs and the production and kind of pushing them to be like a a list type band. And they're just so unique. I mean, if you listen to Sam, I mean, there ain't nobody that sings like John Oliva and there's nobody that plays guitar like Chris Oliva, you know, with those shrieks and everything that, that mm-hmm. John does and the shredding that Chris does. And, and Johnny Lee Middleton's a great bass player. Doc Wackles just crushes it on the drums. It's a, it's a magical combination of guys. And every song is good. There ain't a song that I skip on this one. But the ones that I really like that I wanted to mention are like Beyond the Doors of the Dark, Strange Wings, Price You Pay, obviously the title track. Um, it's just all good, man. And they're just a super talent. You know, they're up there with one of my favorite bands. I don't know. I don't know why it did. I, I'm just. I'll get there. I'll tell. I'll explain my number one. But um, <laughs> I, you know, I do. I do kind of like where Sabotage went after this with the piano and all that kind of stuff. So I, I think their creativity just kept going after this album. But this is killer. This is kind of where Sabotage for me starts. This is where the album, like the album, I really want to hear and go from here to you know the end. But yeah, just a great band. Always going to be one of my favorites. Had most of these guys on the podcast, and uh, there it is, man. Well, dude, I had this. I had this tape back when I I had a truck with a tape deck only, and I let this thing play over and over. And dude, what a good album just to let run. Yep. I mean, kicking it off with twenty four hours ago, and then going into like obviously price you pay, all the Mountain King, all oh. the kind of same thing. White, I was like white witch, white witch like, mother, dude. Really killer album, and the artwork's so good, dude. It was just, it did, it kicked off the whole bit for me with Sabotage. I just, I went wild with them afterwards. I went back a little bit, but then I really went forward. So, yeah, man, awesome number two choice. And speaking of the album art, you bought me this shirt and you sent it to me. God bless you. <laughs> yeah, nice, dude. <laughs> That's a good choice. <laughs> oh, okay, brother, let's hear the top. Number one, okay. 1987. Okay. Death Leopard Hysteria. It's coming soon. One of the most hotly anticipated albums of the year is Hysteria, the new one from Def Leppard. Three years in the making, Hysteria is finally in stores today. <laughs> well, I have to, right? I mean, this is just like the 1980 to 83 podcast. Like, how could I not have Back in Black as number one? How could I not have Hysteria as number one? Oh, I thought you were going to say your video, but I think that came out in 88, right? <laughs> That's it. Yeah, that did. <laughs> I was like, ACDC, what? So, oh, you got to have a stare. No, you got to have a stare. Well, yeah, I, I, who knows? Maybe I would have bumped him. I don't know. But anyway, yeah, I've just, I've determined as years go on that this very well could be my favorite album of all time. And everything from the artwork, which there are only a couple other bands that are as unique as this one in my in my opinion, um to the diversity of the song selection. You have everything from like more of like a cerebral epic to like Gods of War to the perfect mid-tempo in Hysteria to a heartfelt ballad in Love Bites. And then in my book, the most like textbook, look it up in the dictionary, pop metal 
Animal, and then you got the stripper classic that everybody knows. Pour some sugar on me. <laughs> mm-hmm. So I couldn't not. Uh, I know you guys had this on the last one, or Rob had it on the last one, but this might be my Desert Island tape or album. You know what I mean? Like, I just, I think it's got a little of everything. It, I've gone on rants about Def Leppard through the years, and I don't need to say much more, but uh, I know you're not um, incredibly into this album and this band, but you've paid a little mention to this before, and I just had to throw it out there as number one for me, dude. I just, I can't not. Dude, you're not wrong. I mean, I, as much as I'm not a huge Death Leopard guy, I can't, like, blow off the importance of this album and the, the amazingness of this album. I mean, I, I can't. You know what I mean? It might not be something that I listen to all the time, but I got a ton of respect for what this thing totally. did, for the genre, the success it had, the, the creativity that's into it. I, I would never knock this album, so. Well, here's my big question to you, because now you know what <laughs> I've done so far and what I did in the past. What do you think my number one is? Could you could you get it, do you think, or no? Um, okay. It's either going to be Freely's Comet, Tiger Tales, or Pride. You are incorrect on all of those, sir. Okay, maybe Twisted Sister. You are incorrect <laughs> on all of those, sir. Okay. <laughs> This was okay, not maybe this was, maybe armored saint. This was not a <laughs> stop it. <laughs> right, so this was not on my last. This was not on my last list. And it's Lizzie Borden visual lives. Oh, dude! There you go. I don't know, man. I I, I just. This is an album, I bought it when it came out as a kid, I obviously thought Me Against the World was a super cool song, and, and you know, and shock treatment, and Outkast, and all that stuff really stuck you know, in my head, and, and I always really enjoyed this album. But for some reason, over time, I've just kept revisiting this album, and revisiting this album. And over the years, every single song is important to me. Every single song resonates in my brain. It's very classy metal, where like, I don't think I don't want to say this in the wrong way, but I, I don't I question if there was much class in some of the earlier Lizzie Borden stuff. You know, it was kind of mm-hmm. like you know that cheesy horror thing or whatever. Something right. happened here, man. Like like he blossomed as a vocalist, as a lyric writer, as a melody writer. The band is so phenomenal, and everybody's doing like really amazing things. And I feel like the reason why I put this as number one as well. Not only do I like every song, but it. It's like it's a true album. Like it has a consistent vibe that just flows through it. Like it all feels like it goes together, and it almost feels like it's a concept album. But I, I don't really know what the concept is. If I don't think it probably isn't a concept album, but it just gives you that vibe. And you know, go back and listen to some of this stuff. Like listen to songs like Visual Lies or Vision, and it's like mm-hmm. it's that slower tempo stuff. But it's just like I don't know. There's something about it. It just it, it just like strikes me. Like I, I I'm intrigued by it. Like what's he singing about? What what is this all about? You know, it's that mystery of this thing. And like it, like the more and more I hear it, like the more and more I get into it, and I and I always notice something new about it. Or there's a song that'll just pop up and be like, oh, Voyeurs. That's a cool song. It's kind of creepy. Like <laughs> he's like peeking yeah. on people. But but like it's I don't know something about this whole album. I just think he was spot on. And for me, never really. 
hit this hard again out of any of his albums. Like this, like I would never say like, oh, I, I really think that you know the next one is the best too, and the, the one before. No, like something happened with this album. Me and this album have become like symbiotically one. I don't know what it is, man. I really <laughs> dig this album. It's just and the like. The, listen to the harmonies that he's doing on this one. The the melodies. I don't know. There's just something about this album that just really sparks my curiosity. And uh, and I think it just it, it really defines what a true album is. Like it just feels like it all goes together and it all makes sense in one package. You know, and it's just like, do I like Manowar better than Lizzie Borden? Yes. Um, are there songs on the Manowar album that I like better than some of these songs? Of course. But like Manowar like drops off. You know what I mean? Like it, it goes in these different places and maybe it doesn't all fit cohesively. But something about this, it's just it's got a vibe and it goes all the way through and it's cool. And that's where I got it, man. Lizzie Borden, well, visualize. I'm sure it surprised some people, but I think for those who get it, like who really dig this album, they're like, yeah, man, I'm with you. I understand you. I love it. That's a great choice, dude. Um, scary as shit album cover. Yeah, I, he's coming I to always... the TV. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that that grimace all the time with his teeth showing and he's painted silver. He's coming through your TV. Like, it's creepy. And another band with an eyes of a stranger. You got Queensryche, you got Y&T, got Lizzie Borden. It was a popular title. <laughs> I love, but, I love Eyes of a Stranger on this. Like I said, you know, you always think of Queensryche, but like that's what I usually think of as Queensryche. But I love Eyes of a Stranger on this album. I love it. I know, dude. It's it's honestly tough to rank for me those three because both Y&T and Queensryche really have good versions or good good songs that are titled that and. This one's right up there, dude. So, dude, I love when you have a random number one like this. It's perfect. I love this album. So, good on you. Yeah, definitely. Well, man, I think this was was fun. I, I was glad that I could go back. There were some changes. There were some heavy ones that I got to throw in there. And really, like I said, this really is a big year for me because this was, like I said, this was this was my time, man. I was into it in the zone, and the music was all in the zone. So, good memories. I got to ask you a question, though. Yeah. Why didn't you have Dio on there? Right. I know. Well, hey, let's just face it. We could we could throw out some ones that should have been on there. You know, I, I wanted to put on, you know, Dio Dream Evil, I think, was on my original list. Not on there this time. Tiger Tales, I love. Uh, Young and Crazy, just didn't make it this time. Pride, I love. I mean, Pride is a, an amazing album. Why is that not there? You know what I mean? I just, these albums yeah. just made more sense. I think by coming in with those heavier ones... They kind of knock some of those other ones out. And then Live in the Raw is kind of like that that wild card. You know what I mean? Like, it, it, yeah. it doesn't belong, but it does. <laughs> you know what I mean? <laughs> oh, totally. That's a, that's a perfect era for them. What are some of the ones that you thought of that, like, you, you couldn't put on there but but really wanted to? Uh, well, I, I actually wrote down the ones that I totally would have. You guys had um, Pride, Girls, 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 TNT. I love that Twisted Sister album. Yep. Um, he, he had Jeff Paris on there, which is great. Yep. Keel, Freddy's Comet, Tiger Tales, Bonfire. Also had um, Autograph, EZO, Dio, Sabotage, Armored Saint, Icon, John Norum, and Kane Roberts. You know, two guitar yep. players came yep. out with a really cool album. That's a great album, the Kane um, Roberts one. Cacophony with Marty Friedman. Um, that's a hard ass album. That's a good one. Malice. Oh, Paris. yes. I love Malice. Um, Dude, that's a, that's a kill. Good one. I, all, 
I had it on there for a while, and then I booted it off or something else. And I actually removed. I don't know if I said Racer X already, but Racer X was on there too, and and uh, in Malice. And I was like, dude, these are these kind of go hand in hand for me. Totally. <laughs> and that was '87. Next year, we can look forward to the second Amnesty International tour, a U2 movie, and lots of new bands, unexpected comebacks, and a presidential race that promises yeah. lots. All right, of man. Well, always a pleasure. Thank you very much. Hi, brother. Talk to you soon. Okay. Take care. Bye, yeah, bye. Bye. Set a course for home.